Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. You know, I asked this question yesterday. What is the state of our democracy? We asked and many of you answered. I am gravely concerned about state of democracy, because I have seen a systematic teaching us to distrust the media, teaching us to distrust our voting process, teaching us to distrust our public health officials. But one of the issues that we face in the polarization is due to this single-issue voting, the parties embrace the single-issue voting and therefore take away from the people the option to choose multiple issues in a candidate. So I cannot get somebody that is in favor of health care for all, but is also pro-choice. At this age of my life, I realized how easily we can lose our democracy, how we can believe lies. We can lose it so easily. And we're trying to fight back. And I say, don't let go of that democracy for all the people who, who gave their lives for it and their service. And all of us who need to have it. Well, today we're going to continue the conversation. So I'm asking again, what do you think? What's the current state of our nation's democracy? Our number is 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. We'll have that conversation coming up in just a moment. But first this, Grady Memorial Hospital CEO John Harper says COVID-19 hospitalizations are again on the rise and he says the hospital will likely face more capacity issues as the weather turns. Now, in a recent update, Harvard also, Dr. Harbert also pointed out to the latest report from the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Now, this report indicates social gatherings in Georgia are a major factor to the state's rising cases. And then there's this. Health officials also say the country could be facing a, quote, twindemic. We've heard this before, which is the combination of the flu season and the coronavirus. Now, at the time of this broadcast, we know the numbers are so important to you, so here's what we have. The total number of confirmed cases in Georgia right now stands at 377,694. The number of hospitalizations that Dr. Harper was talking about, these hospitalizations that keep increasing, well, that number is 32,806, and of those, 6,171 were ICU admissions. And since March, way back then, when the state began recording deaths, we're at 8,333 deaths since March. And this is always according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. Meanwhile, Georgia's county elections officials, well, time is of the essence. They have about a week to recount nearly 5 million ballots by hand from last week's general election. The deadline for certification is November 20th. Now, Speaking on CNN earlier today, Fulton County Elections Director Richard Barron talked about the process. Human eyes are going to see things differently than, than scanners do. And I think fatigue sets in, mistakes will happen. So over time, uh, we will. I think we're going to see the numbers change. Uh, I don't expect the margin to change, but I, I think the numbers are going to change. Well, here in Georgia, President-elect Joe Biden leads President Donald Trump by about 14,000 votes. There's so much more to the story, and he's been joining me every day, and I really appreciate it from our WABE newsroom. Reporter Emil Moffitt joins us. And Emil, what's, it's like, what's the latest today on these recount efforts? Here's my first question for you. It's been more than a week now. How close is Georgia to first completing the counting, the first count? 108 counties have certified their results so far. 
Um, so about 51 left to go, and they have until tomorrow to certify their results. Uh, DeKalb County is supposed to certify, I would say here in the next hour or so, they have a board of elections meeting scheduled for this afternoon. Fulton and Cobb will both uh, likely certify uh, tomorrow when they have their board of elections meetings. Um, so it's uh, it's been slow going, but um, uh, I think we should have at least that first count uh, tomorrow when all counties have, have certified and then we'll go into this audit process and the hand recount. Now, this hand recount, which is part of the audit process, which you just spoke about, was part of a law that I don't think a lot of people knew, but some people found it. Um, when will this start? Do they have to certify the votes first to do this recount? They do not, because this is technically the audit. Um, it doesn't. It can take place before the certification is complete by the states. Uh, excuse me, by the counties. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It can begin uh, as soon as today. Counties, if they're ready, can start this process. They have to start by 9 a.m. tomorrow. So um, it just kind of depends on when they're ready, but they have to start by 9 a.m. tomorrow. And we just learned within the last hour that the state has imposed a deadline of them on next Wednesday. So uh, they don't actually have until the 20th because the state has to, I guess, um, go over the uh, go over everything uh, before the 20th. So they have between Friday at 9 a.m. and next Wednesday uh, to complete this hand recount. But Emil, I'm sure a listener or two or 10 or 20 may be thinking, well, look how long it's taken in account in the first count. Uh, how's all this going to work? Uh, I think one uh, positive advantage is that they are going to have everything in one place and they're going to be using a centralized scanner. So um, before you kind of had uh, ballots trickling in, now you kind of have them all in one spot so where they can methodically go through them. And this is a situation where you're going to have teams working pretty much around the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're expected to work into the weekend as well uh, to make sure that this is done by by next Wednesday so that the, the state can certify the results by Friday the 20th. The hand recount, that process, it sounds like what it is, but do they have enough people? <laughs> You've got a county like Fulton County, Emil, that's, you know, how many folks are going are they going to need here for this? Uh, they're going to need a lot. And of course, they did have staff, lots of staff on hand for the elections and the aftermath of the elections when they were counting the absentee ballots. So theoretically, they could just call back a lot of the people who were working the elections uh, earlier this month and say, hey, we've got some more work for you. Um, so uh, presumably the the workers, the, the staffing is there. It's mm-hmm. just making sure they're confirmed to be in place and that they can kind of swap out and keep people fresh and make sure that, uh, that, that, that you can minimize the number of, of mistakes made by, by tired people working around the clock. You've been speaking with county election officials. Are they optimistic they can complete this recount by that date, that deadline? Well, they kind of, you know, don't they have uh, a choice. Have huh? a choice and I, yeah, exactly. And so that's what a lot of them are saying is that uh, we got to make it work somehow. Um, they'll probably rely a lot on the election workers that they that they hired uh, earlier this month uh, that worked the elections. Um, but they're just going to kind of work around the clock and, and try to try to make it work as, as best as possible. But this is more resources, more money that it is having to be allocated by these counties. That was my next question, Emil. There is a cost involved with the recount. So the counties have to pay for it, not the Secretary of State's office? That's what uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said yesterday, that this is kind of part of the election. And, of course, counties pay for elections. What's interesting also is that later in the day, after that press conference yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, Secretary Raffensperger was on CNN and said he doesn't expect this to uh, change the, the the outcome of the election and probably won't move the numbers all that much. He's also said that there's no evidence of widespread fraud. So you have to ask the question, why is this money being spent and allocated for a complete hand recount as part of this audit when they don't expect the numbers to change that much? And there's been no evidence of widespread fraud. And we know the Trump campaign can ask for another recount, but it won't be by hand, correct? That's correct. If uh, if this um, uh, this hand recount, this audit process turns out that, that Joe Biden still has around a 14,000 vote lead, or even if it shrinks a, a little bit or expands a little bit, it is still within the margin of error. Once mm-hmm. these results are certified, 
for the losing candidate to say, I want to recount, and then they'll do a scan recount, just sending them through the scanners again after after this complete uh, this audit is completed. Well, what's to stop uh, a candidate from another race? It could have been a state house race or a state senate race or school board member or whatever. They may want to recount as well. Are you hearing that some of these smaller races or local races, are we hearing that folks are wanting to recount in some of these? And I'm thinking about that PSC commission Race as yeah, well. if, if it's within that half percent, then then candidates are entitled uh, to the recount. They won't get the hand recount because this is the this is the audit process um, that that the secretary of state picked the presidential race for that. But they but they can if it's within the margin, they can request a, a scan recount uh, once the election results are certified. And and for clarity, Emil, the hand recount is just for people's selections they're not looking at matching voters signatures and all that correct it's just who voted for whom that that's correct in fact what they've told us is that it's basically they have these the the ballots organized in in stacks of 100 they will take them they'll they'll look at the actual text on the ballot that says joe biden or donald trump they will look at that they will put it in separate piles based on candidate and then they'll take those piles and they'll send them through the scanner to make sure that their count matches up with the scanner count, and that is the hand recount process as part of this risk-limiting audit. And they'll do that for all five million ballots. Goodness, WAB reporter Mill Moffat, as always, thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate it, Mill, for staying on top of this story. Wow, you got it, Rose. Thank you. And that's part of our question too, when we talk about the current state of our nation's democracy. 404-870-0135. I'll be joined again by Morehouse Professor Ilya Davis. He had so much fun yesterday that he's coming back again. 404-870-0135. That is your number. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Chaos. <laughs> it's just everything that happened from politics to just the uh, coronavirus to society. It's just nobody expected it. Everything happened at the same time. Nobody was prepared for anything. It was just crazy. revelation because it revealed a lot of things. Um, everybody was put in the same situation and had to deal with a lot of things. It revealed a lot of things about how our government was caring for us. Um, just a lot of things were revealed. This Shocking. Uh, just so many things have happened that I don't think anyone could plan for or expect or even imagine in their wildest dreams and it's all happened this year. Chaotic, anxious, but at the same time there is hope. So it was hope is the word that I would look for. Voices from the community. We asked folks to sum up the year, although November and December are still left. But I'm guessing for many of you, 2020 can't go away fast enough. <laughs> Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Real Scott. And as we continue conversations from yesterday's program, and I'm asking, how are you feeling at this moment about our nation's democracy? We're taking your calls, 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. And joining me again from Morehouse College, a, a real Morehouse man, Professor of Philosophy, Professor Ilya Davis. Welcome back to the program. 
Thank you very much. I'm happy to be with you. You know, we heard a lot yesterday, various viewpoints about democracy. What what stood out for you, Professor, from what you heard? Um, I think how profoundly it's affected people, not merely politically and socially, but emotionally. Hmm. There was one um, caller who seemed to be quite disturbed, and that was very problematic. And after the call, I had to speak with others about this is much deeper than people's surface level interpretations of what's transpiring, but this is hitting home. A lot of it has to do with disturbing people's foundations, mm-hmm. what they believed in to be true. And I think the notion of truth now is, is even more so now um, on the scaffold than ever before. You know, we heard the word, we're divided. We heard people talk about, well, now we got to move forward and, and have reconciliation. Let's be really clear, Professor. I'm about to get to Doug and Angela and CJ. Folks, everybody ain't in a reconciliation. Nobody want to reconcile right now. You know what I'm saying? So maybe it's too too early to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a little that that is a little premature because to the degree to which we've had problems for the last four years with basic notions of decency and fairness and 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 public displays of care for the public. We had problems before, so the reconciliation is something that has been going on uh, at least 200 years. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to be honest about what's going on here. I mean, people hear metaphors of or analogs about the health of the people. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been unhealthy for a while, yeah. and I think a lot of the problems have been exacerbated by the last four years. But they did not; they weren't born then. They, these have been problematic for a long time. Absolutely. Let's get to our viewers, our listeners. Doug, you called yesterday. You couldn't get in, but you came back. Really appreciate it. What do you you yesterday? You wanted to talk about uh, local government. You said that's um, really where a key is. Um, yeah, let me give you my perspective. I've lived in six states. I've voted in five states, including Georgia. I also lived in Europe, and I voted for a presidential election in Europe. So I got to see things from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people in the U.S. Don't, they don't understand how decentralized our government actually is. And I didn't realize that until I lived in Europe. And, and you know, you don't get a you don't uh, you don't you don't get a U.S. driver's license in the U.S. You get a state driver's license. That's not the case in most of the countries in Europe. And I lived in France, but I was right next to Switzerland, and I saw the difference between uh, a centralized government and a totally decentralized government. And my point is most of the day-to-day things that people uh, affect their life comes from the, the local government. And most people don't even know who their county commissioners are. And, you know, that's the, that's the part of government that really affects you. And I just in general, my feeling... I have been um, uneasy for the past four years because I feel like um, our, our federal government has been breaking down. I don't feel like the state governments have been breaking down. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so I'll kind of leave it at that and you know, comments there. Um, right. But I, I, I think our government is very different um, than a lot of the other governments. I know yesterday people spoke about many parties. I, I was in countries with many parties. And the interesting thing, it always ended up two big parties and the smaller parties would glom on to the big parties. But mm. um, so that's my comment. All right. Thanks a lot, Doug. You know, before we get to Angela, you know, Professor, there were some calls that talked about we need more options in terms of political parties and and some folks saying, you know what, I'm going to vote my conscience. And you had a very interesting take on voting your conscience, conscience voting your interests or voting for the person you think is the better of the two. I'm just curious your take on that. Yeah. And I understand the caller I, I, to I agree highly that local politics, I mean, political science, I guess, 101 says all politics are local. And to a degree, not all, but a large bulk of it. That's one thing. On the other side, though, it's very important that we voice as many views as possible. Part of what makes democracy a great virtue, if a virtue at all, is that the differing voices are articulated and accepted and appreciated as legitimate voices Mm -hmm. in public. And so when you have multiple um, multiple parties, it just creates a larger voice or, or a more expansive voice that are represented individually, you wouldn't get the same audience. And so even if, and I, to the caller's point, even if you have a conflation of parties eventually, you still have had fundamental platform issues articulated. And the hope is that those have been picked up by these respective power parties and that you can have your ideas represented. And the perfect example is Bernie Sanders, his engagement with Biden. That was supposed to have been something that was negotiated. This happened with Ralph Nader, I mean, in 2000, 2004. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a way to make minority voices a little more profound that way. 
All right, let's go to Angela. Angela, thank you so much for, for taking the time. Thank you. Hi, Rose. How right. are you? I'm fine. How you doing? That's I'm the question. Like How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Well, I'm doing good. You know, I'm I'm constantly thinking through the entire process. And for me, democracy is like a wrestling match. It's perpetual. It goes on and on and on. And it's really not a destination, but like a journey of tweaks. We're going to have to tweak our democracy. It's not set in stone. So there are certain things that if they are on the ballot, I think people can vote them for them. And that might help to to help us, you know, have a, a better concept of what democracy is in our lives. And for me, I think the biggest issue is um, to, to change the term limits for uh, for Supreme Court justices. Mm-hmm. They don't need any more than eight years. If a president can only be there for eight years, they shouldn't be there any longer. I feel like a judge for life is God, and the rest of it is we're all human. And so um, there's, I think, a panel of three to four uh Bipartisans uh, should be elected to the board of, uh, you know, like board of election officers. We should have at least four or five, three. I'm sorry, three to four different um, views and and eyes set on everything that's going down in these elections across the nation. So it sh- we should have a national standard for that as well. Mm. And um, uh, like I said, reducing whoa, definitely reduce the, the term of the senators to maybe four years. They don't need six years uh, <laughs> at, at all. So, okay, so and want to make make sure folks don't stay too long. <laughs> at all, because we need fresh blood, period. We need fresh blood. Right. This is called a cycle. Well, you know, if it's an election cycle, let it be a cycle of new blood. Well, let's, you know, t- let's talk about that. Thank you so much, Angela. Uh, Professor Davis, Angela said, look, folks staying too long. Uh, what do you make of that, though? Particularly with the, this, with the Supreme Court justices, and we've heard that before, you know? It, it, that is so true. I mean, even if we didn't limit them, the problem is this failure to live up to the idea of impartiality. Mm-hmm. They aren't impartial. Why is it that you can call a justice conservative? That seems to have foreclosed the possibility of being, you know, impartial. I mean, the idea that you would say we have a conservative court, I mean, prima facie. I mean, how do you make these determinations before they hear anything? So there shouldn't be a public you know, knowledge of my personal political views in the way that we have right now. So to that point, you want to limit someone's um, tenure because what you're trying to say is, hold up, Mm -hmm. you're not adjudicating these things in an unbiased and a bipartisan way. You're showing too much deference to a political ideology versus the law. And so they decide I'm going to be X kind of, you know, justice. No, to be a good justice is to be open to the possibility that your beliefs prior to now have been wrong. You have to be fallible that way. And we're not that way. And the last thing is, even with the president, why do we refer to a president as affiliated after the election? That person should no longer be affiliated with a party. You're supposed to represent the entire country now. That is interesting to me that you have a Republican president or a Democratic president. And Biden tried to do this in his articulations the other evening by saying, I'm the president of everyone. I get the idea, but that has to be pushed because individuals who receive this type of promotion to govern individuals who've agreed and disagreed with him or her must represent those who don't advocate. That's fundamental again to democracy. It's not about my preferences. It's about my fidelity to the ideas of the state. We're taking your calls 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. And I'm asking the question, you know, how are you feeling this moment about our nation's democracy? Let's bring in Nancy. Nancy, thank you for taking the time. How are you? I'm great, Rose. Thanks for uh, putting me on. Um, I just I want to express some step way back ideas about the purpose of politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really about policy and ideology. It's about how a human being decide to pursue power over each other. And our political system has evolved over the course of a couple hundred years as a substitute for open warfare open fighting and violence, dueling, and the kind of things that used to go on 100 years ago, it would still go on in dictatorships and authoritarian governments. Uh, We brought Donald Trump onto the scene, and he unleashed the restraints on that substitute. He gave anyone who needed it or wanted it permission to revert to open fighting and violence. 
and we see it today. Mm. Uh, there are people on the right who would not hesitate to kill their enemy. They say it. Mm. Thank you so much, Nancy. I appreciate that. Professor, before I get to Patrick, something she said about pursuing power. Has that become part of what people think democracy is about, or has it overtaken what democracy is supposed to be about? And sadly, it is, because you know many people you will hear argue that we live more within a plutocracy where you have elites, primarily money, that is something of a code for power. Um, but power must be put in play. It's usually nascent, and we want to talk about it as practice versus as what's possible, because we want to give things opportunity and chance versus assuming that the power is already present. But I think prestige might be a little bigger. People mm -hmm. really do wish to ascend to positions where they can have access to power. And then the problem is how that power is exercised, especially when you talk about forms of neoliberalism and other forms that undermine the integrity of the democracy. That is, we lose the ability of the people and we exchange it for, you know, merely following the ideas of those in positions of power. That's media power. That's, you know, indus various industries mm -hmm. um, of economic power. So I think power is powerful here. But that has to be checked through, I think, certain resources that, that have failed us. The governmental forms have failed us in that regard. All right. Let's bring in Patrick. Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time. Yes, thank you. Uh, I guess the thing I'm most disappointed in this in this election season, and it's been growing for a while, is the dominance of media. And I'm talking mostly right-wing media. I travel the country for a, a living. Mm -hmm. And no matter where I go, increasingly, I turn on radio, and I don't have satellite or anything else, so I get, I get one choice. All the talk radio stations are people yelling at me. Um, here in Atlanta, there's a station down in Buckhead that is basically, you know, 12, 12 to 20 hours a day of what I call the B team, not the, not the conservative A team, it's the B teamers. And they have been pushing uh, for Trump and Republicans Openly. Let me ask you this, Patrick. Why do you think um, that, and through your lens, why do you think those programs are so popular? And, and they're so they're not popular. They're the only thing available. That's my problem. Is that there's no alternative, and they're paid for. They're bought and paid for. So, anytime another station comes up, and may, maybe just like a regular talk station, it's really hard to survive because all the money is placed on the conservative stations and you have conservative backers that buy up all the media space. And that's, I'm talking radio, TV, even internet space it's owned. And I know people that are, they, they profess to be, you know, normal critical brain thinking people. But I ask them, what do you listen to? It is 99% that, and that's, so you have somebody telling you what to think. It's actually easier for them to have somebody tell you what to think rather than to for them to have another idea. I listen to conservative radio in the morning to see what the marching orders are for the day. And I will hear those same, that same, it's almost like a memo goes out. I'll hear those same arguments. Oh, what are we talking about today? Let's talk about voter fraud, okay? Mm -hmm. All day long. Every Patrick, day. let me ask you this. Is this, where, is this where you consume most of your news and information? GPB, yes. NPR. Okay. Well, we appreciate that NPR. Yeah, Thanks. I need that independent yeah. thinking. Uh, and even NPR to survive has to has had to start to bring in more lobbyists. You know, you hear you hear every once in a while somebody is from such and such foundation. Well, it's a lobbyist. They don't really present it that way, but they have to make money like everybody else, and so they have to bring in other types. But I really, really want to see more independent thought. I noticed that, that this year, when uh, and I'd like to hear the professor talk about this, mm -hmm. I had choices of lots of judges on my ballot, tons of them. Every one of them was an incumbent and identified as a Republican, uh, even though they're supposed to be independent. When you look at the background, Republican, Federalist, they're all Federalists. So, Good you point. know, there's, there's no choice. Good point, Patrick. We're going to talk about that. Thank you so much for your call. Louise, hang with me. I'm going to get to you before we go to break. Professor Davis, should... Judge, should we know the political affiliation of a judge? I think that 
right? That seems something paradoxical, I guess I'm about to say, and that is a person is going to be affiliated, even if they don't articulate it. So we may have a sense of it. So let's just go ahead and open the box and say, okay, we know you've been affiliated, but your responsibilities in this position is to be bipartisan. Mm -hmm. And so at least on the surface, we would like someone to say, I will not show fidelity to one party over another. These are concepts, ideals, laws that I'm supposed to show at least a modicum of, of fidelity to. And so the fear here, as the gentleman just said, is absolutely that. I hate going to voting booths and seeing a list of judges. Usually they have not been clarified for the general public. And then they are party affiliated. And you stand there saying, what kind of democracy do you live in when, first of all, they've already identified their, their political interest. Another problem is they're running unopposed. That is corruption. And it's not corruption on the part of the individual. It's corruption on the part of a system that does not push and forward the fundamental concepts of a democracy. You can't have people running like this. Hmm. It has to be democratic. It's supposed to be open-ended, not closed. All right, let's go to Lewis before we go to break. Lewis, thank you for holding. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to me. Yeah. Uh, the divide in this country since Donald Trump took over office was just starting with fake news. I'm Cuban, I come from a communist country, and I've seen this happen in my country. And as an American here, uh, I see the divide and I see the hatred. And it is not, it is the power. It's not for the people. And it should be for the people. And this last judge that was put in, uh, he put two judges in before this ended. And I think that's very unfair. This should have been voted right after the election. But another interesting thing is that he hasn't given in power. And power is important to transfer it because if you don't, and the laws, these laws are stated that people don't know about that they should read up on, is that he can actually stay in the office. And I find that absurd. And it's like a coup. And this country has gone divided. And we're all Democrats. We're all a democratic society. We should not fight each other or hatred. And it's very sad. Very sad. Louis, let me ask you this, because you identified as Cuban-American, and we saw that there was uh, use of Fidel Castro in Cuba in some of the campaign ads. What did you make of that? Well, ma'am, in the, com- in the campaign that in Castro, they did exactly what Trump's been doing on national TV. You know, you start dividing a country, and actually Fox News is one of these people that Fox News has just divided people, and it's just this, this governing where... Before all of this, we never saw this in, in other times in our in our nation. We, we were just, the presidents would do their jobs, and we didn't have these people constantly being tweeted and on the news. They run their job, and they do it well. But Cubans, like, this started exactly like that, political divide, and just, they wouldn't even let you watch regular TV. And they just, it was just the psychosis all the time. And and I've seen it, and, and it's sad because, we're a democracy. We should be different. People should be informed. Republicans, when they reform, we reform to, I'm a Republican, and we reform to help uh, black Americans, you know, for the things that were going on at the time. That's why Lincoln was the first Republican. And they shifted it into money and power. And I don't agree as a Republican that that should be. Mm. I stand for a Republican because we help people. All right. Well, we should. Lewis, thank you so much. Professor, as we go to break, you know, media images, image, imagery, you know, it, it, this is nothing new when it comes to campaigning. I, I always tell people, look, my job is not to tell you what to think or how to think, but to give you something to think about. But I always tell people, too, when I give these talks, and I gave a TED Talk on this, people ex- have expectations of me as a journalist, right? But I have expectations of you as a consumer of news. If you're just going to listen to Uncle Bob or whomever at the gym, and that's where you get your news from, you know, then you've got to ask yourself, you know, what am I doing? I encourage everybody to seek news, real news and information from a lot of different places, but it's okay to do your own, your own fact check, fact checking as well. So I'll leave it at that. We'll go to break. When we come back, we'll take more calls. I have Paul, I have Alfonso. I'm joined by Morehouse College Professor of Philosophy, Ilya Davis. We're asking the question, How are you feeling this moment about our nation's democracy? Give us a call. You know we don't open up the phone lines that much, but we we are today, 404-870-0135. Again, 404-870-0135. 
888-253-0135 or send me a tweet, which is now the old-fashioned way, W-A-B-E Rose Scott. We're back in a moment. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott asking the question, how are you feeling this moment about our nation's democracy? 404-870-0135. Let's go to Paul, who's been holding. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you, Rose. What a great show you have. Thanks thank you. for doing this. Um, so I want to use a phrase that's probably way overused, but I, I think there's, for myself, uh, a kind of an elephant in the room that also has to do with polling uh, inaccuracies, which is I just don't know how I'm going to deal with the fact that my friends, many of my friends and neighbors and relatives have supported what I believe to be just really a despicable human being for the last four years. I'm not talking about morality or policy of which there are plenty of examples of that, but just a basic decency level. And, you know, I think how that relates to polling as well is I think there's just a lot of people who voted for him who wouldn't admit it. And I was just wondering what your guests thought of how do we how do we make – I feel much better now because I think the next four years is going to be um, a breath of fresh air, and I'm hoping to do everything I can to to turn to turn things around and, and, and help get – back to where I know we can be as a country, but how do we, how do we deal with that anger that I have uh, over, over these people because they are friends and neighbors? Mm, thanks so much, Paul. Professor, I know you're not uh, Ayanna Van Zant, and, <laughs> and folk may not want to hug it out, but do you have a response to that? I mean, reconciliation, and look, you know, do you hold a grudge? Because there's another side, too. There are people who are disappointed about the outcome. There are people who are happy about the outcome. And part of the problem is having certain things revealed. Maybe the problem oftentimes is complacency on the part of um, the constituencies. And that is maybe we made assumptions we shouldn't have made. And as you know better than I do, that after um, Obama left or when he was elected, people made bad assumptions about the changing of a system versus the placement of a particular type of politician. Mm -hmm. And I think they invested in it in greater ways that they should not have. They had no foundation for that. And I think because of that, you get a diametrically opposed individual. But interestingly enough, statistics show us, and you know we have statistics creates a problem as well, but nonetheless, that many people who voted for Obama voted for Trump. And so that's a complexity that people haven't worked themselves through. So if you take that idea that someone who voted for Obama voted for Trump, let's jump now. It doesn't make it makes more sense how someone could reason themselves to conclude that they would vote for Trump, irrespective of other types of mm -hmm. abhorrent behaviors. And so it's a complex calculus to see how it is that someone would vote for him in light of some of the positions he holds. Well, that's how you get language like social conservative, fiscal conservatives, mm -hmm. because people do parse and people decide and they they rank their beliefs. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, because you can make an argument also. Problems, there were problems that existed before Donald Trump became president. There were problems that existed before Obama was elected. There were problems that existed before Bush. We've had problems in this nation, <laughs> so yes. and with the election, with with the president, with it appears to be election of, of Joe Biden, are those same problems going to magically disappear? I'll buy no. a lottery ticket every now and then. I'm a, I, I'm a, am I a betting woman? It ain't going to magically disappear. So, folks are just, I don't know. I'm not Doctor Phil, so I don't want to tell people anywhere. how they should work it out. Let's go and to you know what part Go ahead. But I was going to say shortly, I mean, the short part is we must do our best. We must show a certain commitment and diligence. We must show our due diligence. And again, back to local politics, let's do our duty and move out. We move from inward outward, I think, is a better move from assuming that outward inward is going to resolve any of these problems. Absolutely. Alfonso, thank you for taking thank the time. You. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ross. Uh, I go back to the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. and I maybe it's a lot of issues, but I the Supreme Court right now is converted like a seminary, religion seminar. I say, and I always think to myself, 
sit down every single day. We go in a direction like a democracy country. When the religion involving the politics is the destroy of the system. That happens in Rome. Mm. That happens in Greece. And now we are almost right there at the edge of the cliff. Mm. Mr. Trump is himself. He thinking that he elect a conservative or Republican judge to the court and to all the courts in the in the in the in the state. Gonna solve the problem. You can know the the person who interfere as an interlocutor with you, the professor, talking about that. Mm. Not not this issue. Religion cannot be involved in politics. All right, Alfonso, that's a good point. I, 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 I am Jew. I grow Christ, uh, Catholic, and now I don't have any religion. Mm. What happened with the Christians? What the Christian is more than the Catholic? The Christian is more believers in God than the Jews. Mm-hmm. So this is a create a path of destruction in our nation with the judges. Like mm-hmm. he, the, 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 the professor said, a judge is to equalize the, the balance to judge whatever the people do wrong. Mm-hmm. Not because carry the Bible in the shoulder and go to dictate what the Bible says. No. It's two different things. The Bible is something special spiritual and what that's where we create the laws to enforce the laws not the bible matter and we go to the cliff if we continue like that and he violate the constitution he elect almost three judges before the next president come to to act and the the problem too is the president of the senator mr mccollin is radical hey i call him fascista because okay. he don't listen to nobody. Well, let's let's we're gonna talk about that, Alfonso. Thank you so much, Professor. Before I get to Eric and Lee and Gregory and Stephen and Leandra, the intersection we've been down this road before, real quickly. The intersection of religion or faith and politics. Uh, we know the history there. Um, what's your take on that? They don't have to necessarily be held in opposition to one another. I mean, if we look at a general or very broad notion of religion as an organizing principle of who we are, where we live, how we engage one another, the you know notions of ethics and epistemology and metaphysics, all these things are wrapped up. So our world cannot be somehow extrapolated or isolated from our religion. So we would be naive. So one way we want to interpret But it's a our, way to get political... votes. You know that. It's yeah, a way it to get way, votes. But, but, But again, let's go back to what I said yesterday. Part of the failing is our education system. We have such an underdeveloped notion of these concepts that we bring our very pedestrian notions of religion to bear on our decisions versus a more refined and mature notion. And that is, I have no problem with a a Jewish brother, a Muslim brother or sister, a Christian sister, if I understand the nature, what is religion trying to do with and for me versus there being combatants against one another. My political views may be affiliated But to be honest, we know that people's religious views are fundamentally represented in how they vote in their electoral processes and so forth. So let's be honest first. If you're honest about this, then you can move to scrutinizing whether or not one should affiliate one way or another. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's go to Stephen. Stephen, thank you so much. What's your question or comment? Greetings, Rose. Well, I wanted to say that I'm pretty optimistic about the state of the republic. And I'm old enough to remember how bad it was in the 60s, 70s when these all kinds of discourse and the threat of nuclear war and Vietnam mm-hmm. and age and race. And so I feel pretty good, but I wanted to give a little bit of perspective after being in the media, after being in the media business um, about the perception people have of talk radio. And I think that audience, and I, I was a liberal growing up, became a conservative. So obviously from that perspective, but talk radio to most of that audience, they feel that's their last, place to hear something on the center right or right perspective after seeing so many local newspapers, local TV, national newspapers, and generally the, the big three networks all basically being center left in the last 40, 50 years. So it's not like they all want to be told what to think. It's just like this is the only place they really have left to find opinions that are not sifted through credentialed journalists kind of indoctrinated through journalism schools, all thinking one way, if that makes any sense. It does. And I remind people all the time, too, there's a difference between being a talk show host and a journalist and a commentator and an analyst. Yeah. 
you know, I remind people of that. So that's a, a good point, Stephen. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. All right, let's bring in Eric. Eric, thank you so much for calling Closer Look. What's your question or comment? I sound like a talk radio thank host you. at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for taking me, and I, I do appreciate uh, your show and listening. Look, two things come to mind immediately. One is a sense of relief. Um, I've been feeling for, like, the last 20 years or so, increasing levels of violence in our culture, violence in our speech, violence in our actions. And now that people are openly contemplating violence in our politics, it scares me. To, to, to have major media outlets even discuss the possibility of a civil war is just crazy. And so I'm glad this past week or week hasn't resulted in more violence in an escalation. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, like many of your listeners, I'm just fed up with some of the, the processes around elections. I would love to see term limits. I would love to see money out of politics. I mean, I helped work on getting the word out around the McCain-Feingold legislation when I was a young man with Common Cause, and we've got nowhere. Mm-hmm. There's so much money. There's so much stuff that influences what, what should be governance that it makes little sense to me. And I'll say one last thing really quickly for your listeners. Please listen to the podcast, How to Citizen with Sarah Tundy. And if you haven't watched The Social Dilemma, uh, watch that. That was an eye-opener. So. Oh, yeah. Social Dilemma is very Thank interesting. You. Thanks so much, Eric. I appreciate it. Well, y'all are big. Y'all don't want folks. These term limits, Professor, <laughs> they don't want folks hanging around too long. Let's go to Lee. Lee, thanks for calling a closer look. Well, hi, Rose. Thanks for the show. Hi, Professor. Thanks very much. I'm uh, feeling a little despondent, but I think some hope. I-, I think if there's anything positive coming out of Donald Trump and the mess that he's made in the past four years is the fact that racism is being talked about. It's being put forward. It is a very, as you said before, a root cause of a lot of things. Nothing just started in the last, you know, 10 years. It's been here for a long time. I think you combine the racism with the religion and the greed, which comes with the capitalism, you get this triangulation of really difficult stuff that Donald Trump was able to, I think, sort of jump into and promote. And maybe we'll be able to have a better talk about all of those things, given that he's made a horrible platform for all of them i don't know i you know it's it's really messy it's a lot of things but um you know to the last caller's point i I even struggle to call this a democracy when the Koch brothers and dupont and bill gates run elections how do we call that a democracy do you believe that you believe that they run elections lee i do i I really do Mm -hmm. i think big money that is promoting people we don't get to hear too much from the Jill Stein to the Ralph Nader's or people that, you know, have to back out or can't even run in elections without big money. we got to put up with people like Leffler in, you know, in the area of Sandy Springs, Cobb County, because she's got so much money. How can Kelly Leffler and, you know, David Perdue be the people, you know, promoting, being promoted from that party? I think you need a lot of money to be in politics and big money really talks. It'd be great to be able to you know, do a Bernie Sanders, and you can only run if you can take money from what's around, and you can't get more than 25 bucks from anybody. Mm. Um, the money we put into it, think of the money that we could be working into education and homeless and, you know, and the police issues if we took that money out of people running for office. It's, it's kind of insane when you look at it, and it does strike me that it is not a democracy when that's what does that. Um, Lee, Lee, thank you so much for yeah. your call and your comment. I thank appreciate you. that. Professor, you've heard this Money, politics, if you got some money, you can run. Maybe you can win. What are your thoughts? Yes, the money is corrupt. I mean, it, or it corrupts the system because those of us with political, intellectual, and financial wherewithal have to protect those who don't have access. So the poor and elderly have to be protected within a democracy by those who have access. It's gone the other way around, mm-hmm. that they're being manipulated and taken advantage of. And they're very fearful that the little that they have will be gone and dissipate through various restructuring of economic and financial markets. So even with regard to the so-called liberal, you have Bloomberg who's going to drop all this money in the race. Nobody should be doing that. No one should have the ability individually to change the course of a political structure just with their pockets. That's absolutely correct. And make, and it, to the, and make it to the debate stage. Exactly. And that's so that undermines the integrity of every process that we claim to be affiliated with it. And the other um, caller, you associate with that with with what we need is campaign finance reform. And that is it's just too much money affiliated, you know, hard, soft, whatever you want to call it. It should not be governing decisions the way it does. 
because it's impossible to imagine that I can give you that kind of money and not have an expectation of my own outcome. Mm -hmm. That's just not reasonable to even imagine. I'm not giving you a million dollars just because I like your smile. Don't do that. It's disingenuous. Not even my smile, Professor. And I have a lovely smile. Well, maybe yours. Maybe yours. I have a beautiful smile, Professor. I want to get get folks in real quickly. Gregory, you got about 30 seconds. What's your question or comment? Um, you say, uh, meet Greg? Is it Gregory? Yes. Yeah, it's Greg. Hey, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, my comment is that, uh, well, we need to strengthen our democracy by going back. I, I remember some years when Ronald Reagan was president, there was actually a requirement for, 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 for truthful broadcast and balanced broadcast. And that law was weakened by him. And, and we, we need to go to that. And then I find it, uh, very just disingenuous because when we have a president now who talks about how uh, fraud in the election when in Georgia, you know, in other conservative states, they've been putting things in place uh, which are, we thought, per- perhaps were instruction type things for voting to try to, like, to, to eliminate fraud. Mm-hmm. We've had voter ID and all of these things that we put in place now and then, and then they have the nerve to say, Oh yeah, I mean there may be. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. I hear so you. that that's a big thing that I think we need to really work on this. And, right. and we have there are lots of problems with COVID coming back, and and of course we need to do police reform that has to be taken care of. So, yeah. but yes, there's uh, a lot to get to, Greg. There's a lot to listen. Tony and Peggy and Maggie. I I don't want to give our programmers here any ideas. I need two hours, but I don't have enough time. I'm tired. I agree. I agree. I agree. Maggie and Peggy and Tony, I apologize. I appreciate you all hanging. Thank you so much. From Morehouse College, Professor of Philosophy, Professor Ilya Davis, thank you so much for joining us for a second day in a row. You can tell by the level, the volumes of calls that we have and people, you know, people, they're struggling with this, you know, but the conversation will continue. You've been listening to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.